Friends, I want to encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn with me to the letter to the church at Ephesus, the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2. And let's pray together. Father, even now as we begin to open the pages of your word, God, help us carefully focus that we might not miss a thing, that we would hear your words speaking to us, your spirit opening our minds and giving us understanding, that we would hear your word, understand it, and obey it. God, we celebrate Jenny and Johnny, 18 years, wow. God, we are grateful for the goodness that you bring into our life. Encourage us now this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever put together a personal testimony? I'm not talking about doing commercials, my friend. Those are those testimonials, you know. But I'm talking about a personal testimony. You see, a personal testimony is a telling of the gospel from your own personal experience. I mean, it involves answering three questions about your relationship with God. The first question is, what was your life like before you came to faith in Jesus Christ? What was your life like? The second question is, how did you come into this relationship with Jesus? What were the circumstances what was going on in your world that, that the Spirit of God were using these things to draw you to himself? Where were you when you determined that you would put your faith in Christ, in Christ alone? Anybody there? Or were you by yourself? And specifically, what did you do? What does it mean to come into a relationship of faith in Jesus Christ? Spelling it out, my friends. And then comes the third question. We've already asked that. How is your life different today because you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Because you began walking in faith and obedience to him. How is your life different? Well, I'll tell you what, my friends. A personal testimony is a very effective evangelism tool. As a matter of fact, that's how I led my best friend Steve to faith in Christ. I told him my story, how everything had changed for me. The fact is, this guy knew me from junior high school, and he knew something was different. I remember uh, visiting my my, uh, family, my uncle and aunt, and I remember them leaning over to my mom and said, what did you do to him? Why is he so different? Anybody ever said that about you? You're not the same person you used to be. What is the evidence of your faith? So it's an excellent tool. It's also a way to communicate to others that you are indeed an authentic follower of Jesus Christ. What is the evidence of real faith, my friends? It's fruit. 
You come to some church and they say, uh, you're a follower of Christ. Oh, you want to be a member here? Tell us about your experience. Give us your faith story. And right now, my friends, if you're saying, I ain't got one, you need to put your faith in Jesus. You need to put your faith in Jesus. But I'll tell you what, putting together your faith story, a personal testimony, is a wonderful way to look back and see God's great love for you. How he moved through other people and circumstances to bring you to a point where you knew clearly that your only hope was to trust in Christ. That your best possible life was living it in faith in Jesus. I'll tell you, it produces a lot of gratitude and a lot of praise. This morning, if you've never put together your personal testimony, I'm going to do it for you. <laughs> Take a look, my friends, because in some areas, they, all of personal testimonies are exactly the same thing. And we're going to see that here in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. My friends, well, we're going to find out what your life was like before you trusted Christ. You know the details. The Word of God tells us why. Look at here in verse 1. Paul tells the church. These are not lost people. These are not people walking through a mall these are people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, I want to tell you what your life was like before you trusted Christ. First, in verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins. Dead, not sick. Dead. And what does he mean by that? It means that we were separated from God. You may have talked about God, you may have even prayed, but my friends, if you never confessed your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were separated from God, dead in your trespasses and sin. In other words, there wasn't a single thing that you could do to please God. You were in the state of rebellion, my friends. As a matter of fact, look at verse 2. You were not only dead, no righteousness whatsoever. Isaiah 64, 6 says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Not put their faith. That is the righteousness, my friend, the good deeds of those who have not put their faith in Jesus. They're hoping that maybe they can beat the curve, you know, maybe be just good enough for heaven. The Word of God says every one of those deeds is a filthy rag. You know what he's talking about here, my friends? He's talking about menstrual pads. Yes, take a moment and let's move on. How about that? You want to see what God thinks about what you're doing while you walk in rebellion against him? There it is. That's Isaiah 64, 6, if you want to look it up. So he says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you were disobedient. Look at verse 2. In which you once walked, following the course of this world. And so you lived just like everyone else. You did what you could to fit in. 
It live in feet is that you were comfortable. Perhaps you pretended it, perhaps you dove in feet first, my friends. But you were living just like everyone else, following the course of this world, a system that pretends there is no God. But you'll notice this as well. You are not only walking, following the course of this world, you are following the prince of the power of the air. And that's not a DJ, my friends, on the rock station. We're talking about Satan here. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And I'll tell you, when you know what God has called us to do and how it is we ought to live, you know, before you came to faith in Jesus, you lived that way. You didn't think about it that way. You didn't think about it at all. But notice, my friends, it's not only the world and the devil, but also your very flesh, verse 3, among whom we all once, look at this, among whom we all, no exceptions, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. I suppose in some ways we do that today. Mmm, that tasted good. I'm going to have seven more. Just got a notification for Burger King. My triple Whopper is ready. (laughs) Ain't nobody need a triple Whopper, friend. Our body. And the reason we do it is our body says, mmm, that's good, and we obey our body's lusts. Give me another. Give me another. Give me more. Take it from them. You want it more. And so that's what our life is like before Christ. Dead in our trespasses, in sins, disobedient following the course of the world, the evil one, Satan, and our very flesh, fallen nature, sin nature. And you know why we did that? Because that's the only nature we had. Why does a dog do what a dog does? I mean, dogs are disgusting. It's amazing that, I I mean, there are no cats, of course, but, you know, they're, they're just a, did I get an amen out there? All right. (laughs) <laughs> but dogs can be pretty gross. You know what? They'll vomit. I mean, just, you know, like eat a bunch of, and then and a big pile. And a dog will look at that and go, that looks pretty good. <laughs> I'm not talking about cats. We will later, though. <laughs> That's a sin nature. That my friends, we will go after stuff that once we've come to faith in Christ, we look at and we are disgusted by. But we do what we do because we have a sin nature. But the moment you come to faith in Jesus Christ, he gives you a new nature. And so now you have a choice. You can chase hard after God or go back and eat a pile of vomit. I'll talk about that righteous deeds again of the unbeliever. Hmm. And so you were dead. 
You were disobedient. And because of it, my friends, look here at the end of verse 3. And were by nature children of wrath. They weren't wrath like the rest of mankind. And you know what that means? They weren't wrathful people, my friends. They were people destined to experience God's wrath. In other words, what your life was like before you trusted Christ is that you were dead, you were disobedient, and you were doomed. Great white throne judgment. We've read about it in the book of Revelation where the books are open and God lays before everyone before him every person who has not trusted in Christ and they are cast into hell where they are tormented forever and ever and ever. That was what your life was like before you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the wonder of it all is really while we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we were blind to it. You didn't think that way about yourself. You were, you know, that is that other guy. Well, you know, those other girls, I mean, they're the ones that really, you know. You were blind to it. And you struggled through life just like everyone else. I mean, it's just the way it is, right? But everything changed with Jesus. And so here in verses 4 to 6, what we see is from God's perspective, what did God do to change that in your life? Look at verse 4. But God, and you see that word, but God, I'll tell you, if you've got an electronic Bible, just put in those two words and read through the scripture. Typically, it is prefaced with what the actions of man are. Rebellion leading to horrific results. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. I'll tell you what God did. He loved you. And this again highlights that love does Oh, he loves action. You know, that's, that's the way we grow up taught. Oh, he loves her, which means he thinks about her and talks about her a lot. That ain't love. Love isn't thinking and talking. Love is acting. God took action. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He loved us. That's John 3.16. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is great love, my friends. God stepped in and said, enough. He opened your eyes to the truth, gave you the very faith to believe. That's grace. Because we know what it cost him. But God so loved the world that he gave. What do we mean he gave? It means Jesus came to offer his life a sacrifice for yours. 
If the wages of sin is death, my friends, and it is, then Christ died in your place. Christ died for you. That's what God did. When we talk about love, we're not talking about an emotion. We're talking about a great act of God, a great act of mercy, and a great act of grace. The end of verse 5, by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you know who we like to sit with? People whom we love. People whom we are right with. And God made us right with himself and put us in a place of privilege to sit with him. Where does That's that sits on a throne, my friends. The right hand of God. That's the change. That is the transformation, but it continues. What was your life like before you trusted Christ? You were dead in your sin. You were disobedient and you were doomed. But God stepped in. He loved you. He made you alive by faith according to his mercy and grace and he sat you down with him. Intimacy, my friends. And why did God do it? Why would God do that? Why not just every lousy, horrible sinner on your way to hell, forget them, every last one of them? Well, he had a purpose in this. And those of you that trusted Christ... Come on, tune in on this. This is what your life ought to be about, my friends. Look at verse 7. Why did God do it? He did it to reconcile us to himself so that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Because if you love someone, you show them. You hear what I said? I didn't say tell them. You show them. Talking is easy, my friend. As they say, talk is cheap. But my friends, that in the coming age he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Grace is God giving to us what we don't deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve eternal separation from God. But what did he do? He brought us near and sat us down. Look at verse 8. For by grace, by grace you have been saved through faith. Notice the relation here. God acted out of love for your good. And what is the acceptable response? It's faith. For by grace you are saved just believe in faith. And what is faith? Faith is not just believing something is true. That is only the first part of faith. You accept something is true and then you act on it. To trust someone means to depend on someone. To believe their word and live in light of it. I'll pick you up at six. Just go down and wait at the post. You know the words? What's the action? 
You accept it as true? Is this person reliable? Are they actually going to come? Do they do what they say they're going to do? Then what do you do? You go down and wait by the post. That's faith. What is faith in Christ? Christ said you are a sinner deserving of hell. But Christ died for your sin. He died in your place. He rose from the dead and he's coming again. And his spirit had recorded and preserved faith said word to know how to live in the meantime. Faith says, I accept it as true and I act on it. What did it look like the moment you came to faith in Christ? I know the circumstances of my life at that point. I was in college. I had just broken up with a girlfriend. And I was looking at my life, and I didn't really know where I was going. I, I didn't know where I was headed or why I was headed there. You know how you just kind of feel like you're in the stream, you know, just being bumping on one rock to the next? And I looked at my life, and I was unsatisfied. I was empty. And I knew I was a sinner. And it was very evident in my mind the way that I had sinned against God. That day, the week before, the years before. Great Christian parents that took me to church and taught me the gospel. I had believed it was true, but I was on my way to hell. Well, until I was 19 years old that I cried out to God and confessed my sin. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I have failed you. I have rebelled against you. And I asked God to forgive me. And I asked God to forgive me based on what he had already said. We confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I knew how he did it. I mean, who doesn't know in this room, even as a child, that Jesus died on the cross? Whether you accepted it or true or not, you knew about it. And it was at that moment that I was indwelt with the Spirit of God. I was given a, a spiritual gift. It took me a few years to figure out what that was. I had purpose. But I had forgiveness, and I had hope. What's your story, my friends? What's your story? And so we know what God did to save us. And we know why he did it. He did it to reconcile us to himself. But look at verse 10. Now let's move up to verse 8. By grace you've been saved through faith. And this not of your own doing. It's a gift of God. You don't get to say, see how smart I was? Believe me, if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it is because God has worked to bring you to that point. It is not a result of work so that no one would boast. And verse 10 tells us, the reason number two why God has reconciled us to himself. First, because he loves us. 
Second, to do his work through us. Reminds this church, as I remind you, we are his workmanship. I love that word because it is the Greek word poema. Poema. Any idea what English word comes from that? It is the word poem. It is a great work of God that he is doing in our life. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. And that we should walk in them. Boy, there's a verse to dwell on this week. We are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Things that we ought to be doing because of what Christ has done for us. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He's talking about how to live the lifestyle of a believer. And then out of the blue comes this one. Us. You see, God loves you. Not just us. You. And Christ died for you. And God's grace was extended to you. That he might reconcile you to himself. That's relationship. To do his work in you and through you. And here's the big picture. Zoomed in, zoomed out. Therefore, verse 11 Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Talking about circumcision, that was the law for the nation of Israel. It was one of the marks of identity that males were to be circumcised. The Jews called the Gentiles the uncircumcised. At one time you... Hmm. So remember that at one time, you Gentiles, Gentile is everyone that's not a Jew, (laughs) were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. And having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, God not only reconciled us to himself, he reconciled us to Israel. There was once a great separation, but now God has reconciled us. How? He made peace between Jews and Gentiles. Verse 14, for he himself, that's both one, (coughs) is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down his dividing, his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. He has broken down in his flesh. That means Jesus 
in his flesh broke down what divides the Jew and the Gentile. And Paul tells us exactly what that is. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. You see, it's no longer the law, my friends. The law is what separated Israel from everyone else. But now the key issue is faith, as it always has been. All the way back to Abraham, my friends. God made a promise to Abraham. The scripture tells us that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. And so, my friends, he made peace between the Jew and the Gentile. He set the law aside, and now the issue is Jesus. Look at verse 16. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. There's an expression. Jesus killed the hostility. (laughs) And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have access to God, one of the great, great, great privileges of every believer. There's a lot of people yelling at the clouds, thinking they're talking with God. But friends, only believers in Jesus have access to the Father through the Spirit. And so God reconciled us to himself, to do his work through us, to reconcile us with with Israel. And then look at verses 19 through uh, 22. That we here. So then, holy temple indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Notice here. So then, you who are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, the whole purpose of all of this was intimacy. The reason that God did any of these things is to reconcile us with him. The indwelling of the Spirit of God, my friends, is there a greater act of intimacy and that the Spirit of God would indwell us and that the indwelling of the Spirit of God is permanent. Well, let's wrap it up here, my friends. Let's put, have been saved, we, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, have been saved by grace from the penalty of sin to live out the purposes of God. He has saved us for himself. So put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you're hearing this and saying, well, I've I've never done anything like that. Well, yeah, I heard Jesus died on the cross. You know, there's crosses everywhere. Church has got crosses. Now you know why. Because it is a great act of grace that Christ died for our sin and rose from the dead. 
and that he invites us into a relationship with himself through faith. So put your faith in Jesus. Trust in Christ, my friends. And those of you that have, and maybe those of you who have this morning, live out this salvation. Be a poem for God. Live out. Be his word looking at your ship. That others might see what kind of God there is, uh, that he is by looking at your life. And finally, why don't you tell somebody else about him? How could we possibly keep it to ourselves, knowing the great difference that we have today? Has Christ changed your life? Go be a part of changing someone else's. Father,